This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Breaking news. Hurricane Ian has now officially made landfall as a Category 4 storm. One of, if not the most powerful storm ever to make landfall on the western coast. Right now, all eyes are on Florida and Hurricane Ian. The best laid plans are literally being blown away as the catastrophic storm slams into the coast and cuts through the state like a knife. Knowing full well that the state of Florida is going to suffer immeasurable damage over the next few days, some are saying that this Category 4 hurricane is potentially Florida's Katrina. We don't know until morning, until rescuers can get out, until they can evaluate what's going on. They can't do that until the streets are clear. That's why they've asked people not to drive around. But police have made it very clear. They don't have a good handle on, on what's going on in the state, and they won't until at the very earliest tomorrow in the southwestern parts of the state. The central part of the state might take another day because that storm's still on top of them. Can you believe that? It's inland, and it's a Category 3, 125-mile-per-hour yes. storm. This is remarkable. I'm astonished by those who didn't evacuate. Not sure what they're thinking, but we pray for their safety. And for the safety of reporters and news crews doing the brave work of keeping us informed. Wednesday, Hurricane Ian, surging at about 155 miles per hour, hit landfall on Florida's southwest coast near Fort Myers. And then it just kept going. The power went out, cars floated away. We humans and all of our stuff mean absolutely nothing when a natural disaster like Ian hits. Mother Nature doesn't give a shit. Your best bet is to take the advice of experts seriously and run like hell for cover. This thing's the real deal. Uh, it, is a, it is a major, major storm. But this hurricane, I mean, you heard Governor DeSantis. He said, this thing is the real deal. Not like the usual stuff I tell you to be scared of, like drag queens or critical race theory. I'm talking real. <laughs> like I might fly myself to Martha's Vineyard. Stepping up to the podium at the State Emergency Operations Center, the same moron who has systematically killed Floridians by denying the dangers of COVID. And he's now saying his ultimate goal is to protect people's lives. Never did he question the science of those tracking the storm. He simply advised Floridians to take sensible precautions and heed evacuation orders. Whatever you do, don't die needlessly. Once the storm has passed and it's safe to go outside, I urge you to be cautious. Avoid down power lines. Avoid standing water. Stay clear of damaged trees. If you are using a generator for power, make sure that that is being operated outside your home. Do not operate that indoors. Uh, and then don't drive in flooded streets. Uh, people will look and think they can drive through it, uh, and it doesn't work out well for them. Now that's Governor Ron DeSantis I'm talking about, who lost 6,000 people in his state to the virus just over the past summer. But then he denounced all preventative measures, meaning like masks, vaccines, the whole shebang as threats to freedom and hysteria. I just want to be very clear, as long as I sit in the chair in which I sit, no Floridian will be restricted, mandated, or locked down in any possible way. The Florida Division of Emergency Management reported Tuesday that 464 Floridians have been killed by hurricanes over the last 20 years. 
Now brace yourself because 81,261 Floridians have been killed by COVID since the start of 2020. That's 81,261 deaths in Florida due to COVID in less than two years. Now we all pick our battles, but DeSantis never even tried to fight for his people during the pandemic. We can only hope he does better in the face of the storm. This is not politics. This is, these are people's lives. You know, what did he think was going to happen? I do think he it's could use be some a- of that money that he used to get those migrants to uh, Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, that was about $12 million. $12, $12 million. million. Yeah, I will he say, could use it. Now. Yeah, he could have used that money. And speaking of storms, Roger Stone is in the eye of yet another shitstorm. This week, new documentary film footage has surfaced of Stone before and after the 2020 election, fucking mouthing off about how he planned to steal it. This time, he's talking to Danish film crew. In footage obtained by subpoena by the January 6th committee, Stone can be heard saying, fuck the voting, let's get right to the violence. Let's just hope we're celebrating. Oh, I, I suspect it'll be, I really do suspect it'll still be up in the air. But when that happens, the key thing to do is to claim victory. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. No, we won. F*** you. Sorry, over. We won. Yeah. You're wrong. F*** you. Like Steve Bannon, Stone, a walking, talking threat to democracy, was on the hurry-up-and-claim-victory bandwagon long before the ballots were even counted. And, as per usual, he couldn't shut up about it. As far back as July of 2020, Stone talked about challenging the upcoming presidential election in the courts. The election will not be normal, he said, speaking of the results. Sorry, we're not accepting them. We're challenging them in court. And not just any courts. So listen to this. I'm the president. You. You're not stealing Florida. You're not stealing Ohio. I'm challenging all of it. And the judges we're going to are judges I appointed. You. You're not stealing the election. That's what that's basically what Bush did to Gore. So, you know, if they want to run a bunch of fake ballots, we'll have an investigation. We'll say these ballots are fake. Your results are invalidated. Goodbye. That's the way it's going to have to work. It's going to be really nasty. Of course, Stone disputes the authenticity of the footage. And in a statement to CNN, he compared himself to, you ready? Kim Kardashian. Yup saying how ironic it is that he and Kim are both being subjected to computer-manipulated videos on the same day. But it's not ironic. It's just fucking Stone being the asshole that he is, and that's just Roger Stone. Computer-altered clips? I mean, quite a statement. I had no idea that Kim Kardashian was even subjected to... to, I I don't know what he's talking about, but... um, Maybe it's out yeah. there, I'll have to check. I, I missed that headline, I'll have yeah, to yeah, check after the show yeah. as well. We already know that Stone joined Flynn, Bannon, Giuliani, and all the rest of Trump's yee-hoos hunkered down at the Willard Hotel war room plotting the insurrection the night before the Capitol riots. And then on the 6th, Stone was under the protection of the Oath Keepers. Now those boys are facing multiple charges, including seditious conspiracy for their actions in and around the riot. The trial for several Oath Keepers, including their leader, Stuart Rhodes, began jury selection on Tuesday. So, this new video footage is just more damning evidence to heap on the pile. It's it's gonna be really nasty. Wow. But you can't, 
cannot count on, we're not going to get an honest election. Right. So let's say that Trump is a little behind right now, which he probably is. That doesn't bother me, but even if he wins an honest election, we're not going to have an honest election. But the January 6th committee has a lot of ground to cover during their next hearing, especially if it's their last. They postponed a hearing scheduled for Wednesday due to the hurricane. And, according to committee member Jamie Raskin, the panel has more to reveal about the connection between Stone and domestic extremist groups, as well as efforts to keep Trump in power after the U.S. Capitol attack. When they return... They don't have to add much to add to the body of evidence that would support a criminal referral or the Department of Justice prosecuting on its own. My guess is that what they're going to try to do is wrap this up for the American people and try to refocus people after six weeks in which there have not been these compelling hearings. With only a few months left before the committee set to wrap up their investigation, there are lots of key decisions yet to be made. For some of the members, their time on the committee has reshaped their political futures. Obviously, that's true for Liz Cheney, but the legacy that the committee will leave behind is still up for grabs. What did you think of those Ginny Thomas texts? Actually, as far as academically, it was hellaciously insightful. Insightful in what way? Insightful about how the conspiracy theories and sort of this, this digital virus had um, really metastasized uh, in the GOP. You make it sound like an infection. It is an infection. But Ginny Thomas specifically, uh, to see somebody like that who has that type of access to the president and married to a Supreme Court justice, pushing that type of nonsense to the chief of staff, to the president, that's a, that should be an eye-opener for everybody. They recently had a breakthrough when Jeannie Thomas, the wife of the dishonorable Justice Clarence Thomas, agreed to a voluntary interview. Now that's expected to take place in the next few weeks. And if somehow the committee can land a blow that helps to take down the Thomases, they'll go down in infamy. But if for all the buildup, they can't close the deal with a majority of the American people, it will have been great fun, but just one of those things. It was just one of those things. It's terrifying to consider that the wife of a sitting Supreme Court justice, a prominent conservative activist in her own right, seems to have been sucked in by conspiracy theories to the point where she's in DC on January the 6th on the day of a violent insurrection. And yet if she's not held accountable for her alleged actions, if Roger Stone isn't, and other Trump acolytes, if they all get away with everything, What's to stop them from doing it all again? Apparently, all sorts of things are blowing up this week. There's the natural gas pipeline explosion in the Baltic Sea that somehow Tucker Carlson has tied to pin on President Biden. After reports that leaks in the Russian-owned Nord Stream 2 pipeline were caused by the explosions, Mr. Conspiracy himself looked dead into the camera. And then he asked insincerely, could the Biden administration really do something like this? Not really a question, Tucker, more of an accusation. But do go on. The people lecturing you about your SUV may have blown up a natural gas pipeline and created one of the great catastrophes of our time and its effect on the environment. If they did this, this will be one of the craziest, most destructive things any American administration has ever done. But it would also be totally consistent with what they do. What do they do? They destroy. These people build nothing, not one thing. 
Instead, they tear down and they desecrate from historic statues to the Constitution to energy infrastructure. Maybe Tucker was trying to impress his charming guest, Tulsi Gabbard. Or maybe he's being paid by the Russians to end our democracy. Truthfully, I suspect the latter. Look, let's establish once again that there is a huge comet headed towards Earth. And the reason we know that there is a comet is because we saw it. We saw it with our own eyes using a telescope. I mean, for God's sakes, we took a fucking picture of it. What other proof do we need? And in a scenario not unlike the movie Don't Look Up, NASA rammed into an asteroid with a rocket in an effort to test our defense capabilities in space. Planetary defense experts say if astronomers spotted a dangerous incoming space rock, the safest and best answer might be to simply push it off course by ramming it with a small spacecraft and not blowing it up with nuclear weapons. I mean, that's good to know. Glad we got that out of the way. And lastly, an update regarding the Mar-a-Lardo document theft. The upcoming Friday is Trump's put-up-a-shut-up day in court with special master Judge Raymond Deary. Donald's recent objections to the special master that he himself insisted on has blown up in his fucking face. This is about facts. It's about evidence. You can't just make wild accusations in court without a shred of evidence, even if that is your main MO out in the court of MAGA opinion. Deary has ordered Donald to go through the inventory list submitted by the FBI and the Department of Justice and to tell the court which documents he suspects were planted by the FBI and which ones actually belong to him and do it all under oath, asshole, and open in court so that the public knows what's what. But of course, Donald can't do any of that. Why? Because he's fucking lying. He has zero evidence. And if he does go under oath, he'll perjure himself. But Deary's called his bluff and is basically saying, provide evidence behind your bogus claims or shut the fuck up forever. You're not allowed to say shit that you can't back up. Not at your rallies, not on Truth Social, nowhere. Now this all comes as Trump's lawyers are all infighting and are looking for the exit doors. So yeah, good times for Donald. Gotta wonder, who's sorry now? Who's sorry now? And now for the main event. Today, we welcome back to our show, Reed Galen, co-founder of The Lincoln Project and an independent political strategist. A veteran public affairs and political analyst with more than 20 years experience, Reed has been involved in politics, government, and business at the highest levels. Reed has spent more than a decade advising Fortune 50, 100, and 1,000 companies in need of high-level counsel in the fields of strategic communications, procurement, and legislation. In addition to his private sector work, Reed has managed several high-profile ballot measure campaigns in California, in Texas, and Colorado before moving to the private sector. 
Reid served as deputy campaign manager for John McCain's presidential campaign and deputy campaign manager for Arnold Schwarzenegger's successful 2006 re-election campaign. Now, Reid also worked on both of the President George W. Bush campaigns and served the Bush administration at both the United States Department of the Treasury and the Department of Homeland Security. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Reid, let's just jump right into it. What's this with Mitch McConnell joining the Democrats to pass the Electoral Count Reform and Presidential Transition Improvement Act? Now, it appears that at least some Republicans are worried about the upcoming elections and perhaps that they're not all on board with the, uh, what did they call it, the Steve Bannon-inspired precinct strategy. What do you think? Well, I think that this is yet another case of uh, McConnell trying to have it both ways, which is he could have ended this problem for everybody by having all of his colleagues vote to impeach Trump and bar him from further federal office uh, last year in January of 21 or February of 21, excuse me, after the January 6th stuff. But he didn't do that. So now he's, you know, and look, I do believe that he is not an agent of chaos, right? He doesn't want this. And so my assumption is, is that he says, okay, well, this will be a way that we can look like, you know, Republicans and, you know, the Senate are good on, you know, peaceful transfers of power. And, you know, maybe, maybe I can make sure that if, let's say, Trump and Biden run again, Biden wins again, we'll avoid this trouble. I think the problem, Michael, as you know, having lived so much through, through so much of this, is that laws are important, uh, but ultimately they are words on a piece of paper. And if you are up against people who don't care, then it really doesn't matter. Interesting. Right. Now, this, of course, first started in the House. And I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, was sponsored by um, Susan Collins and Joe Manchin. Now, what what this really aims to do is to re, uh, to, to amend, we'll call it, the Electoral Count um, Act of 1887, um, which will then reaffirm something that Trump doesn't seem to understand, that the vice president has only a ministerial role in terms of counting the electoral votes. Basically, it's a, um, it's a ministerial job. It's, you just read it, no different than, we'll call it the ring announcer, who ends up tabulating the numbers, right, and reading it off to determine if it's in a boxing match, you know, who won, who lost, or whether or not it's a, you know, split decision, what have you. That's what, that's what this is all about. And it's hard to imagine that we have to now amend something, clarify it from 1887, simply because we have somebody like a Donald Trump. Now, while I acknowledge you're right that I don't think that Mitch McConnell is an agent of chaos and great referral, of course, to Maxwell Smart. Um, <laughs> what we do see finally coming out of the Senate is the fact that maybe Schumer and McConnell can actually get along with things that it desperately needed, right, including this so that we could prevent, you know, any future efforts by a presidential wannabe to retain power. I mean, your thoughts on that? Um, well, I mean, we should remember that I believe that McConnell, um, you know, and Republicans voted with Schumer on the uh, infrastructure bill that passed last November. 
Um, and now they're going along with this. And my guess is that I think there's an upcoming, uh, you know, continuing resolution to keep the government open. So I think that McConnell will go along with those things again, because he's also smart enough to understand that, you know, uh, Republicans shutting down the government, as we've seen in the past, not good for Republicans. Um, but I think also is, you know, he wants to find a way to make this go away. Right. He wants it all to be normal again. I think the biggest issue for us all, Michael, is that normal is gone. Whatever the status quo was, you can call it 9-11. You can call it the Katrina, the, the financial meltdown, um, COVID, Trump, whatever it is, like all of this, like we're in a new era, a new epic. And everybody really needs to understand that. And so if this is going to be helpful in enshrining the fact that the vice president has a ministerial role, like the people who are willing to go out and figure out how to overturn an election will just take it one level down, which is, OK, well, we're not going to get it done on January, whatever, 2025. So we'll get it done on December 14th, 2024, by, you know, making sure the the true electors, you know, can't, you know, the winning electors can't participate that, you know, we we put them in the back of a paddy wagon and drive them away. And then the other electors come in. Like we should not assume that the bad guys don't have an incredible imagination for how to do this stuff. Yep. And we can see that what's taking place right now, for example, in Ukraine, in those areas that were seized by Russia, they had these sham elections. And I believe that one of the things, actually nobody said it better. Then Chuck Schumer in the statement post, you know, the press conference with him and McConnell, where mm. he said, and I give him a lot of credit for putting out the statement, make no mistake, as our country continues to face the threat of an anti-democracy MAGA Republican movement propelled by many GOP leaders who right. either refuse to take a stand or actively stoke the flames of division in our country. Reforming the Electoral Count Act ought to be the bare minimum of action that the Congress takes. I mean, very bold statement. I expected, obviously, somebody like uh, Mitch McConnell to step back up and start to attack the Democrats. I just felt finally it looks like Chuck Schumer's doing something. Yeah, look, I mean, he's I'll, I'll say this in the last eight, 10 weeks. You know, he's he's sort of channeled his inner Harry Reid. Right. Um, I think he has found a way to get things done, uh, whether or not that's with, you know, look, as you know, Michael, right, cutting deals means that no one on either side is perfectly happy. That's making a deal. Right. He went to Mansion. He got a deal. He went to cinema. He got a deal. Do these things make anybody broadly happy? Um, not necessarily in the individual, but that's what governing is. Right. Governing is not like I want everything I want and I want it right now. Like that's not how things work. Um, and so I think he has done an incredible job along with the president of one, getting things done like the Inflation Reduction Act. But two, the president gives a speech on the, the state of American democracy earlier this month. Now, leader Schumer is doing the same thing. And I think we also see that one, I think they truly believe in it. And I think it's important for Demo big D democratic leaders to show that. But secondly, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. This is the first time ever. In, in recorded American history, where democracy is at 25% as far as what people are most concerned about. And that's the number one issue. You know, that's pretty incredible. And I think very telling about where we are, but also that a lot of the country is now waking up. And we can only hope that in the next 40 some days, 
they stay awake long enough to do what we need them to do. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? But then again, you can never discount the wannabe Trumps, the wannabe Trump 2.0s, right? Mm -hmm. For example, like Ted Cruz. It's, it hurts me. It pains me in my abdomen when I say this fucking moron's name, right? I mean, watching this schmuck, this asshole who goes running off to Cancun instead of dealing with, you know, COVID or any of the other crap that's going on in his state. Right. Comes out with a statement. And of course, we all know, Ted, why you're doing it. Other than the fact that you're a jerk off, you're doing it because you think that you actually have a chance to one day be president by trying to play the Trump playbook. The problem is you were a loser when you were a kid. You're a loser now. And when you're dead, we'll still think of you as a loser. So this this fucking loser comes out with a statement. I understand why Democrats are supporting this bill. What I don't understand is why Republicans are. I mean, what? It's like, are you fucking for real? Did you not see what took place on January 6th? Did you not turn around and, and see what's going on now with um, all of these hearings and the number of people who are being incarcerated for pretty length, some short term, but some pretty lengthy terms? Do you not understand right. that Trump opened up the floodgates, the Pandora's box in terms of denying the certification of a victory? I mean, it's amazing to me. And I don't understand why they just don't censor him. Well, someone just doesn't slap him. Just do one or the other. Well, look, I mean, since he got to since he became a United States senator, um, his whole job has to be has become to be the, the turd in the punch bowl. That's his whole job. Right. Mm, his only his only other friend in the United States Senate is Mike Lee from the state of Utah, who is also a loathsome character. But, you know, you mentioned January 6th. We should not forget that earlier this year, in January of this year, around the one-year anniversary, Ted Cruz was giving remarks, and he said that the January 6th insurrection was, quote, a riot. Okay? That night, Tucker Carlson goes on the air and just eviscerates Ted Cruz for using the word riot. How mm -hmm. dare he... He knows, you know, these were people standing up for their rights, all of this sort of Tucker Carlson stuff. Cruz goes on the air the next night with Carlson to abase himself before Tucker and Ultra MAGA. And Tucker is not having any of it. No, Ted, you're a constitutional lawyer. You know words matter. You knew what you were saying. And so what Cruz is doing now, to your point, Michael, is desperately trying to recapture some of that Ultra MAGA vote share. But let's be clear, mm -hmm. like nobody wants this guy. This is this is his family doesn't want it. Right. Like say in Washington, nobody cares like what you do. And what you see now is that also I can't believe Republicans are going to vote for this. He was one of the two people, along with Josh Holly from Missouri, who were the leaders of the objection, you know, to the electoral count, the, the electoral votes being counted. So, like, he has decided this is his lane. And I think you see that with a lot of them, whether or not it's DeSantis down in Florida, whether or not it's Abbott, Holly. You know, they're all trying to pick up these little bits of ultra MAGA of mm -hmm. MAGA making an assumption that Donald Trump isn't going to run again, right? Or that someday he's going to shuffle off, you know, into wherever, you know, and, you know, to the eighth fairway sometime. And, you know, that they'll be there to pick up the pieces. I think the problem is, is that to your point, ultra MAGA has gone way beyond all of these people. They can't, 
Trump does it, as you know better than anybody, Michael, Trump does it naturally. He does it instinctually, right? These other guys have to figure it out. And by definition, if you're having to figure it out, you're always trying to modulate where you are because this is a group of people like the Lost Boys, right? The vampires came out of the wood. They don't know where they're going to go next, right? So the idea that you're somehow going to keep up with them is ridiculous or that they'd want you in the first place. Yeah, and we all know that his family doesn't want him in Texas, but we don't want him in D.C. either. <laughs> so let me ask you this then, Reed. Mm. you think that the Biden administration has done enough to protect the upcoming elections? And further, I mean, Biden has had a pretty steady stream of political wins and, right. you know, and poll numbers over the course of the last couple of months. Will that mean anything in the November elections? I don't know yet. Um, this is one. Well, let me let me ask, answer your first question first. Um, my guess is, is that the administration and its various agencies, whether or not that's uh, the Department of Justice, the Department of Homeland Security, all of its various organs are doing all they can to ensure that they are aware of threats and taking care of those. But I mean, Michael, I think you raise a greater point, which is there are what thousands and thousands of individual precincts in this country around, you know, around all 50 states, Puerto Rico, the, the territories. Um, so much of this comes down to maybe at best a secretary of state in, in a given state. And then it goes down to county registrars or county recorders. And then it goes down to people who, you know, do this every two years as because they believe it's their public service. Uh, maybe they're temporary employees. Uh, maybe they're volunteers, right? And that's where the rubber and uh, you know the the rubber meets the road of American democracy is at these polling places, at these individual precincts. We've heard that Steve Bannon has recruited quote eleven thousand people to go to different key precincts and contest every vote. I assume that the feds have taken note of that because, as you know, Bannon might be crazy and evil, but he's not stupid. And so I'm sure they're keeping track of that. I hope that local authorities and state authorities are keeping track of those things. Um, and so to your second question about Biden's poll numbers, I don't know the answer. I mean, think about this, Michael. You know, when have we ever had a situation in our memory, right, where we've had a pandemic ongoing, um, the Dobbs decision, inflation for the first time in 40 years, even if it's declining, a land war in Europe – one American political party dedicated to overturning American democracy and everything else. I mean, it's just so the reason why I bring all those variables up is because normally for a guy like me who I don't even know how many, you know, I've been doing this since I was 16. You know, I'm in my I've been doing this 30 years now. It's hard to believe. I don't know. I, I, I look out into November and I it's you know, I look in the crystal ball and it's just cloudy because there's so much going on. Right. Single issue voters, right? You know, abortion, choice, whatever it is, the environment, democracy, whatever the case might be, there's just so much dust in the air. For me, it's really hard to see how this comes out. I can't figure it out either. I sit and I reflect upon, of course, you know, my decade long um, representation and work alongside the Mandarin Mussolini. And <laughs> one of the things that I distinctly recall, and I've talked about it on this show, I've talked about it on television, in the press, Donald legitimately has this belief, and someone had told it to him that it was Putin's ideology, that it doesn't matter who you vote for, 
All that matters is who's counting the vote. And I've been saying this since almost the very first day that I started this podcast. And that's 50 million plus downloads ago. Right. I truly now see that coming to fruition. And it's petrifying because Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who you vote for. Not under the Bannon system, which, of course, was guided by Donald's ideology. And it's a very scary thing that every single time that there's an election, regardless of whether it's on a low level, whether it's a city council, whether it's a uh, school board, whether it's a a mayor, a governor, a senator, a congressman, makes no difference, president, everybody's going to think, thanks to this guy, that the system doesn't work and that the election was rigged. And that is the beginning to the end of democracy. When you no longer believe that at least your vote counts, that's a real fucking problem. No, look, I mean, first of all, this has been, let me say this, on the natural for American voters, right, uh, with the exception of most presidential years, uh, in local elections, primary elections, midterm elections, American voter turnout is abysmal anyway. Right. Um, it's every I guess it, it, up to this point, it's been every every American's God given right to not participate in their own democracy. Um, but now to your point, and you know this going back to 2016, remember when he was running against Clinton, he started that what was in August or September. Right. Well, if I don't win this thing, it's because they stole it from me. Right. It's rigged. Which rigged. which I think was probably setting up the fact that he thought he was going to lose and he needed an excuse. But to your broader point, and I think it's the right one, is part of the authoritarian playbook is to tell to convince Americans it is all rigged. None of it matters. To set that confusion concrete in people's minds so they don't know what to believe. Let me just say this too. It wasn't Putin ideology about who counts the votes. It was none other than Joseph Stalin that Donald Trump was quoting when he said, it doesn't matter who votes, it matters who counts the votes. So like, that is where we are. You bring up Bannon. Bannon is a Leninist, not a John Leninist, but mm-hmm. a Vladimir Leninist, right? These, he is someone who, and I'm just reading uh, Peter Baker and Susan Glasser's book uh, right now, The Divider. He is someone who actively, you know, reading back on the first year of the administration, Michael, which is, you know, for you must be even more, you know, consequential but for me it brings all that stuff back like he went out of his way to ensure that anytime trump had something to do with maintaining uh, a partnership maintaining a relationship with an ally or maintaining uh, a steady institution that bannon was in there going fuck around with it fuck around with it this is what they want don't let him get away with it and that's the whole thing is burning the whole thing to the ground and then rebuilding it in some dystopian yes but the problem is that they wanted to burn it to the ground they just don't have the qualifications or the intelligence within which to build it back up look forget it's donald trump for a second i don't care if for example someone says our immigration system is really shit All right. Burn the fucking thing to the ground. No problem. Just make sure that you have something to replace it. And replacing it doesn't mean banning all Muslims from coming into the United States, because that's what Steve Bannon, who's a racist, wants to do. That's not the way to do it. Or you turn around and you say, well, the EPA is too inhibiting upon big business. 
Remember when Donald said that he was going to bring manufacturing back to America and that the way to do it is you have to go after the EPA who make it so difficult that you can't actually make a profit? Well, guess what? He burned down the EPA. And here's the other second half of the guess what? Manufacturing didn't come back to America. So dipshit Donald did it again. He fucked up. He lied to the American people. Right? He got them all pumped up. Yeah, right? Fucking build that wall. And who's going to pay for it? Is the crowd chance Mexico? Did Mexico pay for it? Did he do anything in his four years? The answer is no. And that's why I'm asking you, of course, you know, whether you think any of this, you know, any of these successes that we're seeing by Biden will change anything in November elections, but like you, I'm not sure. So let me then ask you this. Let me, well, let me just, before, before you, before you ask, but I will say this as I think that the one thing I have noted, Michael, in the three years that we've been doing this, and I've spent a lot more time with democratic leaders, activists, and voters is that the president posting wins does matter for democratic enthusiasm because democratic voters are generally sort of like the sky is falling all the time. Hmm. And unhappy Democrats don't vote, and I believe that happy Democrats do. And so I think that the president showing leadership, his numbers coming back up, I think does encourage Democratic voters to get out there. I think you mix that with the Dobbs, with among, especially among you know women, suburban white women, younger women. Uh, you know, I think it could be enough, but like we should we shouldn't take anything for granted. No, we cannot. Now let's talk a little more about the upcoming elections. I mean, seriously. What the hell is happening in Arizona? I mean, what's with the ancient abortion law that they're now trying to pass? This law is literally from being before Arizona was even a state. And I mean, and what's the likelihood that draconian abortion laws like this one and others will ultimately hold up? In essence, are abortion rights as we knew them absolutely over? Um, well, I will say this is that, uh, yeah, I think the law was passed in 1864. So literally during the American Civil War, um, a judge just went through and said, no, this is the active statute in the state, which is, you know, boy, that's that's you know, that's a reach. Um, but I, I guess that's where they came to. Do I think that abortion rights uh, are over for good? I think they could be in certain states. Um you know, I mean, in, you know, the the mostly very conservative states from, you know, take basically Texas east of Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky, Arizona, or excuse me, uh, Iowa, those kinds of places, um, Utah, Idaho, um, a lot of the Mountain West, you know, empty Mountain West states. Yes, th- that that's probably a tough thing. But do I think that, Ari- but Arizona, here's the thing. I was down there a few months ago and between Why? this... Uh, because I, I like to go out and see this. I like to go see the people. I'm a okay. man of the people, Michael. Yes, um, yes you are. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the one thing I, I was really interested about this vibe was meeting with, I don't know, five, six different groups and three or four different individuals over the course of a couple of days was they don't want Arizona to be a laughing stock, right? They don't want Arizona to be embarrassed. They do not want to be the Florida of the West, right? They it's a city on the, you know, Phoenix is a city on the move. Arizona is a state on the move. A lot of investment, a lot of people moving there. Um, and I think they don't want to be a laughing stock. So I think that, you know, I hope that means that Blake Masters gets crushed by Mark Kelly and that Katie Hobbs, the current secretary of state, the Democratic mm-hmm. nominee, beats Carrie Lake. Because if Carrie Lake is the governor, 
then you know um then the, there won't be an you know there won't be an abortion uh with it for any reason anytime soon and let me just say this is you know i think on this issue um first you know there was a there was a referendum on abortion in kansas back in august and uh, about enshrining you know pro-life uh in the constitution and it got crushed it lost by 20 points in kansas right uh, but the, the people that ran the campaign were brilliant in that they didn't really make it about abortion. They made it about individual liberty, government overreach, the things that sort of reach Republican lizard brains, Michael, right? That sort of, oh, wait, well, that used to be something we cared about, and it still is. Um, I think also there was an explosion of younger voters and female voters about this. So I think that that's not a perfect litmus test, but it's a good one. But also there was a story out yesterday that um, in Ohio there were two – uh, I, I think they were teenage girls who'd been raped, had be, had gotten pregnant because mm-hmm. of the rape and, and couldn't get abortions in Ohio because of it. This is the third example of this just in Ohio, right, where girls and they, they're not young women, Michael. They are girls, right, are, are suffering through this. And the state is basically saying, good luck to you. And I think that that's inhumane. It's indecent. And I think it speaks to a party more broadly Right. That doesn't care about anything other than being able to tell you, me and everybody else what we can and can't do. It'll start with bodies. It'll go to schools. It'll go to books and eventually to be who can vote, who can hold this job, who can drive in that lane of traffic, whatever it is. It never stops. As you know, it never freaking stops. Yeah. And that's the scary part. What's also scary is that history has already shown us this is prior to the to the Roe v. Wade case being decided, that women who don't want these babies will do things in order to rid themselves of it. Now, today, it's much easier. Why? Well, first of all, you have pills that you could take, like the morning after pill and so on. Chances are they'll outlaw those uh, as well. And your name will go onto a list, and then the government will be following you. Who knows? But Mm -hmm. the bad thing is all of the women who were hurt, who, who died in these backyard, these alleyway abortions, you know, this is, or trying to perform the, you know, to perform themselves. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a person's choice. So why can't we allow that to happen and then just try to do it in the safest of ways, in a hospital, with a doctor, in a place that's sterile, so that it doesn't alter somebody's life, you know, whether it's the ability to conceive again or death. They're, they just don't fucking get it. Read, they just don't get it. And you know what? I'm going to tell you, this is my prediction. I think the young people, and Maya culpa, we tried to go after the Gen Zs, bring them out to vote. They're an enormous, enormous, important voting block for, for sure. November and for the general election. And we, we need to concentrate more on them. So the next time you speak to Jamie Harrison or anyone over there at the DNC, just put that in their head, would you? They, they don't I, They don't spend a lot of time taking our advice, but that's no problem. We have other ways of communicating. But you're right. I mean, look, on sheer numbers alone, Michael, you know, I'm a Gen, I'm a Gen Xer, right? So we're the, you know, we're sandwiched in between the baby boomers. That's funny and- because I'm an out the cocker. <laughs> <laughs> For those people who don't understand, that just means an old person. Uh, but, you know, we're sandwiched in between 
the baby boomers and the millennials and then the Gen Zs, and they are much bigger generations than we are, right? So they have a lot of people. And I think that a lot of these people, we saw these protests in Virginia uh, the other day, uh, earlier this week, where Glenn Youngkin had gone after trans kids and a bunch of, you know, thousands of kids walked out of high schools because, Michael, it's their world, right? We're we're custodians of it. And they probably think we're pretty shitty custodians of it because they're probably looking at the world and saying, look at all the freaking messes you guys created that we're going to have to clean up. We're going to have to spend our entire lives cleaning up. And they're right. They're absolutely right. Now, let me talk to you about the, you know, why don't Republicans get it? Well, first of all, I, it's been a, it's an expression that's overused. The You know, the Republicans, the dog that caught the car on abortion. Right. It's hmm. overused, but it's not inaccurate, which is when you see a bunch of Republican candidates suddenly scrubbing their websites of the most extreme abortion rhetoric to something more. I'm not going to call it moderate because that's not the right word, but something less extreme. It's because they know they're getting crushed with women. Right. They're getting crushed with younger women, suburban Mm -hmm. women um, and, you know, and Democratic and independent voters. And so they're they're trying to backtrack on this. Um, But you talk about, you know, women's lives. Right. There was a story in I don't remember where it was, but a woman came in with an, you know, an ectopic pregnancy and she was hemorrhaging. And the the ER and the doctors had to call the council, right, the lawyer for the hospital and say, what do you want us to do? And the lawyer's like, well, you can't let her die. Right. So you better fix it. And that's the kind of decision. I mean, Michael, you're an attorney. That's the kind of decision like you're an ER doctor. You've been on a 16 hour shift. This woman comes in hemorrhaging. And what's what do you do? You don't go help the woman. God forbid. No, you have to call your lawyer and say, can I do this? The, the The interval between that phone call and that woman's life is literally life and death. Yeah. And that's what they and that. And here's the thing. What don't they get? They don't care. Right? It doesn't matter to them for the and for the most ultra why, magnet, they don't care. And that's why after the road decision you saw in the polls, Republican favorability falls substantially. And now what are they looking to do? They're looking to figure out how to turn that back around for the November elections. Look, my hope again is that between Lincoln Project, <laughs> between Midas, between Maya Culpa, between Democracy Now and so on, we're able to reach enough young people, the Gen Zs and so on, that we can end up enticing them and explaining to them the significance of their vote, why they need to grab their friends, pile into someone's car, make it an afternoon, go out onto, right, go find your polling station and just have a blast while you're doing it because you're not just having fun then. It'll give you the ability to have fun in your life where all your rights aren't taken. The fact that government believes that they can actually intercede in what goes on in your bedroom, we're really reaching dangerous places right now in terms of democracy and peril. Yeah, and just and just for the, the young folks that are listening, remember that in a lot of places, Uber and Lyft provide free rides to the polls. Right. On Election Day, if you if you click on your app, a lot of them will say you want to ride to the poll. They'll get you there and back. Right. Which I think is, you know, for an industry that's been beat up, I think that's a very smart thing to do. And I think it's very attentive to a younger generation, frankly, even an older generation who may not have a ride of their own. Um, But I think you're right about that, which is, you know, it has to be y'all come out. You're not getting everything you want this time. I get it. And I know you're frustrated and you should be. But like, let me tell you something. You don't show up now. You don't show up in 2024. 
you get nothing, get nothing and you'll never get anything and you guys you guys will literally spend the the rest of your lives trying to figure out how to get out from under the yoke of these people because as i said michael they don't want to let go once they get a hold no. of you they move fast and they don't want to let go and oftentimes you know things get very dark in a very big hurry but the good news is to your point is that there are we have 60,000 volunteers right deploying out to states i'm sure that you and and your folks do too there are a lot of people who are fired up and, you know, we got 40 days, six weeks, whatever it is uh, to make this happen. It's absolutely doable, right? We don't have to win by, we don't have to win all those votes, Michael. We just have to win enough. And those votes are there for sure. They're there. Yeah. We need to get rid of a handful of these, you know, um, MAGA Republicans, these Trumpists as soon as possible. So look, let me ask you this then. Once mm. again, Arizona will be pivotal in November. I'm really curious how did they become this hub for radical thought and indoctrination? I understand that it's the birthplace of QAnon. Now, that's what I've read. I don't know it to be 100% factually accurate, but I understand that it's the birthplace of QAnon. And what happens if Carrie Lake somehow becomes governor of the state? What happens then to the state? What happens to Congress? What happens to, what happens to the whole game? Well, so Arizona, remember that Arizona much like the Mountain West, has always had a strong, independent-minded sort of vision of itself, right? And that's not – Nevada is a lot like that too. Um, but anywhere it's sort of west of the Rockies. Um, remember, this is the home of Barry Goldwater, right? Sort of a strong, almost more libertarian than conservative uh, character. Um, John McCain was a maverick, right? So it's always had this very interesting sense of itself – um, which is now, as you said, sort of metastasized. Um, I'm hoping that that en there's enough Arizonans who push back on it. But for Carrie Lake, I mean, this is a woman who has repeatedly said that she wants to fire the Fed, right? Fire the Feds, get rid of the federal government, um, which just gives you a sense of how unserious she is because that means, okay, well, you know, the 42% of the Arizona state budget that comes from the federal government, like, good luck, right? Good luck, Arizona. Mm -hmm. um, you know, being part of a federal water project, good luck. Military bases, good luck. Oh, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, gone, right? Um, and so, you know, those are the things that, like, she's just fundamentally unserious, which makes her that much more dangerous because there was a – somebody was doing, a like, an interview in the New York Times a few months ago or a few weeks ago, and one of the conservative people was like, well, you know, Carrie Lake will have a conservative vision, you know, for governing Arizona. Like, no, she won't. She doesn't have a vision because to her, she's just like Trump, right? Like it will be I don't I've never seen the Arizona governor's is mansion. She like I've never Trump? Seen Reed, is she like Trump or is she trying to be like Trump? I want to go back to the statement that you said uh, about 15, 20 minutes earlier, which is spot on for Trump. It's natural for so many of these others. It's um. It's phony. It's fake. But they think it works. I think she and a guy like Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, like I think they they might not be as 100 percent natural, but I think they're true believers in it. I really do. I think oh, that she had some sort of strange conversion from being, you know, a local news person, a person who voted for Barack Obama and took pictures with him to, you know, being, you know, having the fervor of a convert. I really do believe in that. Um because she and we've seen this right when when push really comes to shove all these other assholes with the exception of probably DeSantis 
um, like they'll find they'll try and find some way to be normal, right? For Carrie Lake, she doubles and triples down on the freak show. And right. that says to me, like, that's really where she lives now. She really believes this stuff. Just like, you know, you mentioned QAnon, just like the hundreds of or thousands, hundreds, maybe even millions of QAnon adherents around the country and around the world. They should all know better because it's nonsense, but you can't convince them otherwise. There was just a story. Um, I, I saw uh, the headline the other day that a guy, you know, shot his wife and a daughter and one daughter survived because he was convinced that, you know, they were they were contaminated somehow. And QAnon said, if there's someone contaminated around you, you have to get rid of them. Some guy in Seattle killed his brother with a sword because he thought he was a you know lizard hiding in human skin. Like, this is crazy shit. And Carrie wow, Lake is perfectly are- willing to not only go along with it, but to embrace it. And that's she's I mean, reading the stories of inside the White House, you know, in those early days and then throughout the Trump's presidency. Like Carrie Lake's governor's office will make that look like, a, a, you know, child's play. It will be insanity on a daily the basis. level. The level of ignorance and incompetence that comes out of her office, her campaign is stunning. You may remember I saw this not too long ago that you know she was having her team triple check some information that she learned about Hobbs. Right. And then she decides to drop it, which was that Hobbs uh, fought to keep the Pledge of Allegiance, the National Anthem, the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution of um, of the United States out of the Arizona classroom. And of course, that turned out to be exactly the opposite. But yet, right. what I love, typical Trump line, which is why I asked you the question, whether it's for real with her or it's just contrived. She's lying. Yes. She, she was lying to make this stuff up. And oh, always with Donald, we double checked and we triple right. checked and we know <laughs> it to be true. And right. you know what? It is true. But in fact, it's not true because that's what they do. They just lie. Now, let me ask you this then. What do you think of the battle between red state governors and Gavin Newsom? Because Newsom is trolling DeSantis and Abbott mercilessly. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that someone is calling them out. But then... The Wall Street Journal turns around and says, California is like a third world country and it's Newsom's fault. Who's winning this battle and who do you think will ultimately win the war of words? Uh, Well, a couple of things. One is that they're all up for reelection and they're all um, I think that Newsom and DeSantis are likely to win their races. I think Abbott's race is still up for grabs. I think it was interesting this week that that uh, in Austin, Texas, at the Texas Tribune Fest, uh, he said he would not be running for president of the United States. And so I think that was an interesting uh, announcement on his part. Um, there's, a, I think, a lot of other reasons why, but the fact that he did it was interesting. Um, I think that Newsom actually learned this by watching Rick Perry years ago. So when Rick Perry was governor of Texas, he used to come to California when I lived there. He would run television ads and radio ads and say, is your business overtaxed? Is your business overregulated? Move to Texas. Come for some freedom. Come for we don't have a state income tax, blah, 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 blah. So I think he he learned a little bit about that. Um, he's going to win reelection. And I think that at this point, again, if he's not running for president, he's got a little bit of freedom to say, OK, I got the next four and a half years. Let's figure out what to do. Um, I think it's important because Democrats desperately need fighters and they love to see fighters. Right. And so I think that Newsom is playing that role when it comes to DeSantis and Abbott. Do I think it will ultimately have any you know, real impact on any of their races? No. Do I think it'll have any real impact on the broader um, 
you know, the broader outcome of, of national elections or the national conversation? I don't think so. Uh, but again, I think that to that point about getting Democrats fired up to see somebody who is punching back, I think that's important. Yeah, it is important. Uh, so, guys, let's go. Let's start punching back. Now, mm-hmm. let's also turn around and say Newsom has been great about calling out the Democrats for their terrible messaging. Now, And he asked the question that I always do. What the fuck is wrong with the Democrats that we just don't go after the GOP in a substantive way, the way that they do it? And we're at a central set of talking points that could somehow, you know, help to unify the whole party. Again, here on Mayor Culpa, I talk about it and I don't want to be an asshole to Jamie Harrison. You know, I feel almost like sometimes a traitor to the party. I don't want to be a traitor. I'm hoping that somebody who's listening to this program gives him a kick in the ass and says, seriously, we are fired up. We are winning and not just little tiny battles. I think we're beginning to win, you know, larger battles. But we need like the RNC. We need the DNC to get up there. They have CPAC. We should have DPAC. They go ahead. They do some event with 17,000. Fuck it. Let's go put on a goddamn concert with, you know, the greatest singers here in the country. And let's just make the DNC into a party so that people are anxious to get out there and vote. It's not supposed to be individualized. We need the group. What are they doing? Well, all right. So there's there's a couple things. Um, I get this. I get asked this question a lot. So understand, even going back before Trump, right? The Republican Party was always far more hierarchical, right, top to bottom. Um, if there's a Republican president in office, right, they run everything as far as Republicans are concerned, from Washington D.C. to Salem, Oregon, right. And everything the president says, literally every word out of his mouth or her mouth on a speech, is as if handed down by God. Right. And everybody gets in line and everybody follows that up until and unless you see like George H. George W. Bush, excuse me, at the end of his second term. Right. Was sort of, you know, he was out on an island at that point because the party was trying to move on. Um, Democrats, first of all, belief is a derivative or excuse me, messaging is a derivative of belief. Right. You can't describe something unless you understand why you believe in it or what you believe in. And how you're going to, you know, and, and the reasons why you believe in those things. And so the Democrats, and I said this to a, a group of people, like two dozen people I was with in San Diego a couple of weeks ago, Michael. I said, you're sitting around this table. You're all very smart. You might also all think you're the smartest person in the room, right? So whatever your idea must be the best idea. So then you argue about what the best idea is, what matters. And that takes a long time, right? Right. And then maybe it's like, okay, well, half of you believe in this and half of you believe in that. Well, how are you going to come to some agreement? Then you have to have an argument among the 12 about who's the smartest and who this. And then finally, let's say that you hash all this stuff out, right? Months, and this takes months, right, Michael? This is not like an overnight conversation. And then it's like, okay, well, who's going to go talk about it? Well, why do you get to go talk about it? Why shouldn't I talk about it, right? So there are all these different things that have trouble, which is, you know, the Democratic Party is a party of two wings. There's a very progressive wing, which is smaller, but very noisy, and a more moderate wing, more centrist, centrist wing. I don't want to moderate, it's better, um, who is trying to get the work done, um, but is also scared to death of its progressive wing because they're afraid of, like, getting trolled on Twitter, right? 
So like they oh fear is also. Oh my god! I'm gonna so get fear, trolled on Twitter. Well, but that's the thing. But fear is also like, as I once told a crowd of of Democrats, like stop worrying about so much, <laughs> right? Like go out and do some things. It's not going to be that bad. Well, what if we did this or what if we did that? That person might get upset. Like, fine. Like this, you know. As as you know, my wife, you know, constantly makes fun of me, Michael, when the New York Times was taking us to task early last year, um, you know, about you know the rough and tumble world of the Lincoln Project. My my own quote, my only quote in there was, "It's a presidential campaign, not a Montessori school." Right? right. Like this is like, what do you think this is all about? Like this is about the future of the country. And if you have a pet project or a pet cause, that's great. But remember that none of it matters if democracy goes, right? So yeah. you, can, you can die on the hill of whatever that thing is. And maybe that thing is really important. Um, but if you don't, for once, put your flag down in the interest of the American flag, none of it's going to matter. And remember something as well. Everything changes. So the fact that the Republican Party is the party of loudmouths and the party, you know, that will get out there and have these events and so on. And the Democrats just sit back. Things have to change. And that's why, again, I implore the younger generation to really start getting active and involved in government, because if you leave it up to the old white Southern Christian coalition members and so on, you're going to find yourself with some real serious problems down the road, as you described well, look, before. But but to your point, I mean, that you, you make a really good point about these events. Um, so Turning Point USA, which is Charlie Kirk's boondoggle, yep. they're going to have a big event in Phoenix in December. We just saw the notice yesterday. And it's it's the whole kit and caboodle of the crazy town, right? And I'm sure Trump will get, I'm sure Don, Don Jr. is already there. I'm sure Donald Trump will get added to it eventually. And they do these things every weekend, Right. And they do them every weekend. And you, I think with the exception of probably Candace Owens, it's a bunch of white people, right? Um, so you don't really and, – and they all care about one thing, which is power, right? Winning. And money. Uh, and money, yeah. Power and money for sure. Now, you do that on the Democratic side of the aisle, okay? Let's be clear. Who's, who's going to headline? Right. You and I, you and I are going to do it. How about that? Let's That's fine do with me. Counter, let's counter yeah. <laughs> a program something. Let's just do it through live stream or StreamYard or one of those other apps. Sure. Let's just Happy get on. Let's it. get 15, 20 guys up there, right? And we can do it the same way that they can. Let's even get some celebrities up there to turn around to talk about why this is so important. But can I just jump in for a second here? Because sure. I really want to get to this. We talk about things that are important. And we already brought up abortion. Do you think that abortion is the game changer for the November election that the Democrats are praying that it will ultimately be? And do you think that it'll motivate people to get to the polls? Because it's clear, it's clear, at least to me, that most women, other than, again, the ones that believe, you know, the right to life, and that's okay, right? Women are pissed, and there's no question about it, that they're losing a right, a right to make mm -hmm. their own decision about their body. But are we Democrats organized enough to form a block like the LGBTQ plus community did for the right to marry? We have to all get together and we have to have a common message. Uh, I think so, but I'm not sure. 
And the only reason I think that it's it it's looks promising is because you see the rates of voter registration amongst women spiking in certain states, uh, which, again, is correlation, not causation to the Dobbs decision. Um, but I think that, you know, this is one of those where, again, um, I think the Democrats have done a good job to um, not over rotate on the issue, right? Um, abortion on demand, all of those kinds of things, because that's the trap that Republicans are trying to pull them back into. That's what this whole Lindsey Graham silliness that we saw last week on 15 weeks was about, was trying to, you know, trying to, you know, bring the Democrats back into, you know, partial birth abortion, third trimester, all this other stuff, which oftentimes Republicans in years past have been very good about beating Democrats over the head with because Democrats, again, were afraid of upsetting a constituency, right, rather than saying, you know, what 85% of the country agrees with. So I think they have done a good job. um, But now, again, it's, you know, it's making sure that we understand who those people are, making sure that the resources are there. I mean, look, there was a story in Politico last week by Heidi Prisbelow, who's an excellent reporter, saying, you know, um, Democrat, you know, Democratic uh, campaigns and operatives are screaming at Democratic donors. We need more money for state races, for governor's races, for AG races, for secretaries of state races. And a lot of Democratic donors are like, yeah, it's a state race. I really like the House and the Senate. OK, I get that. But let's be clear. People's lives, actual lives happen, you know, in your city, in your county, yeah, in local your state, level. Right. Yeah. And On so those are level. the places. And those and remember, in 2024, it's 50 state elections. It's not a national election. Mm-hmm. And so if you want these things to occur, if you want the right outcome, whether or not that's policy wise or electorally in 2024, you know, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, Nevada. Right. Those got to go the right way. 40 days from now. And and that's the one thing that does concern me is that, yes, I think that there is nascent energy there, latent energy there, um, but it's going to take resources. And I'm not talking about television, right? Television is fine, um, but this is making sure that the people on the ground who have the resources, the manpower, the bodies, the money, whatever it is to get their stuff done can get it done. And that's the one where I'm just hoping that, you know, Democratic donors say, okay, one more time, you know, I'm really into this because sometimes it's, I mean, I, I talked to a donor uh, who said, look, I've done my part. We're either going to win or we're going to lose. And I'm like, with all due respect, like, that is the wrong way to think about it. Way wrong. Um, so, yeah. Well, let me ask you this then, because again, Democrats are relying upon uh, the January 6th hearings as another reason to vote um, for Democrats and obviously not for Republicans. Now, the January 6th committee canceled um, you know, the hearing on Wednesday because of Hurricane Ian. But mm-hmm. I do have a couple of questions about that. Do you think that they're about to wrap it up after the next hearing? Or do you think that they'll push on through the end of the year? And then secondly, what's your take on how the public has reacted so far to the hearings? Do you think that these hearings have changed anyone's minds about anything? Uh, I think they did. Um, I think the fact that, you know, for the first primetime hearing that was back in June now, um, the 20 million people tuned in uh, primetime, I think was was a big deal. I think it did probably um, really give, I'd say, a lot of well, let's say this. We looked at we looked at a very specific subset of Republican voters, Michael. They were older Republican Fox News viewers who, in a survey, agreed that Joe Biden won the election fair and square. 
Right. Maybe they didn't like it, but they agreed. Yeah, he won. They were really pushed. They were really put off by the January 6th hearings because they saw they saw that stuff and they said, this is not the kind of country. This is not us. This is not who we are. And I think it further it further, you know, took those, let's say, 25 percent of the Republican Party that, you know, is not MAGA or ultra MAGA away from Trump. It's not enough to beat him in a primary, but it's enough to get enough people to come across the line in November, right, or stay home. I'll take either one uh, to help a Democrat win. And so I think will they I I can't imagine that they're just going to do one more hearing and wrap it up um, because there's it's it's great television. They have done a great job stage managing this. Um, And I think that there's probably a whole bunch of folks who have after seeing the hearings in July, have said, okay, I'll come testify. And I think they want to take advantage of that. And and this is one of the things about fighting back against you know authoritarians and would-be tyrants, which is you have to use the power you have when you have it. And I think this is a perfect example of uh, a bipartisan committee, right, because of Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, taking advantage of the authority and the power they have to have a bully mm-hmm. pulpit. And I think it also has, <clears throat> if they do this right, it has the advantage of probably – driving Trump to say crazier and crazier things that just remind people like, God, do I really want more of that? Do I right. really want more of that? Um, so you I know, think so- they do matter, but, but let's just be clear, you know, eight weeks is a long time in America for anything, let alone politics. So it's, you know, I'm hoping that in this first hearing, they sort of do a recap of season one and then they move on to whoever else they have. Yeah. Look, I, I agree with you. Um, I just don't know whether or not it's changed anybody's minds. You know, those who are Democrats that want to see, you know, the one that want to believe one way already believe it. And those that don't refuse to acknowledge no matter what the evidence is. But, you know, Reed, one of the reasons why I brought that up and it's just coming, you know, it's just floating in my head right now is this issue of let's do something like on a stream yard or some other platform that people can tune into. And that, at least that way they don't have to. And I'm going to tell you why I, I say that. The Supreme Court is about to come back into session. And I suppose mm-hmm. that we need to prepare ourselves to lose more, to, to lose more rights that we've become so, so accustomed to. But it appears that this Catholic cabal is on a tear. So I have a couple of questions for you on that. Mm-hmm. Do they think that they're winning because the public isn't behind them? And after all that's gone so terribly wrong, can we do anything to disrupt the current trajectory of the court? Uh, I think they do think they're winning because, I mean, other than Congress, uh, you know, legislating on some of these issues, i.e. Roe v. Wade or Dobbs, um, fi- campaign finance reform, right? All of these things have gone to the Supreme Court, Michael. Let's be clear, because the Congress, the federal, the federal legislative branch and the executive branch have refused to take them up seriously. That's why we are where we are in a lot of this stuff, because because, you know, elected representatives were you know happy to let it go to the court and deal with it um, because they thought, OK, I can wash my hands of it. It's the law of the land, which they did with with Roe and came back to bite him in the ass. It was the law of the land until it wasn't. Right. Um, And so I think that you see and this is where the Faustian bargain of Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump really comes into clear focus, Michael, is McConnell loathes Trump, but he knows that he he needed him and he knows that 
his worldview and the worldview of the conservative movement in this country, which is often shadowy, but definitely powerful, does not comport with the vast majority of the American population. That's why they cared so much about federal judges, right? Because, and that's why they have a 6-3 Supreme Court, because they want to enshrine these things in law via the judiciary because they know that otherwise they'd never get it done, right? Um, and, and you could look at whether or not it was Dobbs, they, they've gutted the Voting Rights Act over the last six years, eight years, nine years, whatever it is, um, because they knew that if the trajectory continued, right, that Republicans um, are a dying breed, both literally and figuratively, and that they had to give Republicans, especially in southern states like Georgia, Texas, uh, these other places where they used to not be able to change voting rules without the Department of Justice is okay – now they can go off and do whatever they want. So they're just reinstating Jim Crow or they will. Right. Because remember that as we get through 2022, Michael, we'll get into 2023. Now these state legislatures will come back, which is why they're so important too. And they'll start doing more crazy shit and then they'll do it again in 24. And so do, do I think there's any way to short circuit the court? I'm not sure other than, you know, if, if the, if the court has said it's a state issue, making sure you pick up enough seats in those states or retaining a governor. Um, and also making clear that, you know, these things are not broadly popular with the American people the next time, you know, two years hence that we do have a general election. Um, but, you know, this is why election, I know it's an old trope, but elections have consequences. Yes, they do. It's something actually, you know, that I talk about uh, in my upcoming book to be released called Revenge, where I talk about this Supreme Court. I talk about these federal court judges I don't like the idea of a job for life. I've never heard of anything like that. No matter what you do, no matter how bad you fuck up, no matter what's going on in terms of your own life, it doesn't make a difference. Unless you choose to leave or you die, right. there's no way to get the Supreme Court or these federal court judges uh, off the bench. And I think that that does two things. One, I think it makes them lazy in terms of you know um, their, their actions and... Again, if there's no if there's no consequences to your action, then, you know, basically you are above the law. And I have a real problem with that. And I go through that extensively. But let me just move on because we're running out of time here. I love women holding office, but I don't care for these fascist leaders, regardless of their sex. Right. Right. Should we be worried about Italy's new prime minister? I mean, they dodged a bullet in France when they voted uh, against Le Pen. But England is still test driving their new ultra conservative prime minister, Liz Truss. Should we be looking to European politics for clues, you know, universally on whether or not this could work here in the United States? Um, I think, listen, I think that, let me say this, is that, you know, we know, we all know for a fact that Steve Bannon was in Italy trying to set up basically like a, a an academy for young fascists, right? A lot of these things are connected um, with money from Russia, uh, Hungary, right? You know, see Viktor Orban, they did a, the cons American conservatives did something in Budapest. They had Orban come to Texas a couple of months ago. So a lot of these things are tied into one another, right? And you can see the, the commonality of their themes and the commonality of their strategies and tactics. Should we be worried? I think we should be, um, broadly speaking, because Me too. you don't want, um, you know, you don't want that kind of, you know, again, there hasn't been a fascist since Mussolini, and we under, we know how he ended up, right? Not in a great way. Um, but I would also say that in, in Italy in particular, 
you know, this is a country that doesn't keep a government more than like nine months, right? So the Italians are notoriously fickle. Um, and so I would say that, you know, we should hope for their sort of inconsistency maybe to save us, but we should take it seriously. And, and look, I think you're right about France, which is France is, you know, Macron just got elected to another five-year term. You know, he's going to have to be one of the major uh, stabilizers. But I would also say this, though, um, whether or not it is in Norway, whether or not it is in Finland, whether or not it is in Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia, Ukraine even, right? A lot of the Eastern European countries are becoming the paragons of democracy because they got to live with Russia on their doorstep every day. And they say, we're not going back to that, right? For hundreds of years, maybe thousands mm-hmm. of years, right? They got rolled over by the Russians, the Poles, whoever it was. And like, that's it. We're not doing this anymore. And so I think that there are a lot of, a, a lot of uh, female leaders too, whether or not that's Finland or Estonia or the head of the European Union, who are very strong female leaders. I think we need more of them. Like, Michael, let's be clear. Like I'm with you, you on that one. Certain, you and I are so good at certain things, like running a country, probably not even on that list. So Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm with you on that one. So here, as we're ending this program, the hour goes by quickly. Here's the bonus question for you. Mm-hmm. 2024 presidential election comes down to Liz Cheney and Amy Klobuchar. Who wins? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would go with Klobuchar, probably. Uh, as far as who wins, really? that would be my guess. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Liz I would, is a conservative. With, I, Liz is a conservative. Yeah, she yeah. is a very conservative individual. Um, but let me say this, though. Here's the more important thing. I'd be good with either of them. But that's what I was going to just say. I would be I would be more satisfied with either of them than with Trump, DeSantis or any of these other Republicans, these MAGA morons that want to turn this country upside down. Yeah, but I mean, look, at the end of the day, I'm probably to the right of Amy Klobuchar and to the left of Liz Cheney, but I would go to bed with either of them sitting in the Oval Office knowing I don't have to worry about the insanity that they might cause the following day, which is what happens when Donald Trump was in office, right? What's going to come next, right? And That's right. and even even for those people who consider him a consider him a great president, they follow him like there is this tension, Michael, that took hold of us that we're not over yet, right? We're still in its throes. And so actually what I would say is let me revise my answer. For the record, um, give me Liz Cheney versus A.B. Klobuchar a thousand times. <laughs> Reed, let me thank you, my brother. Uh, I'm dead serious about doing that, um, that stream yeah, yard sure. or something like that. I will reach out to you. I want to thank you for joining us. Um, definitely need to have you back very soon. There's just too much going on, and your voice is important. And I think you're coming to see me in a couple of weeks, so look forward to having you on. I am. Thanks so much, Reed. And now for today's mea culpa. You ever turn on the TV and hear someone talking and think, I don't have any idea who that person is, but I don't like them. That was how I felt when Carrie Lake came on my radar, even before I knew one thing about her. I knew from the sound of her voice that she was condescending, manipulative, and power mad. And nothing I've learned about her since has changed my mind. Carrie Lake is a Trumper through and through. She is a MAGA, anti-feminist fascist who is still rehashing 2020. Because that's what election deniers do. 
If elected governor, Lake would turn the clock back in Arizona about a hundred years. But in her fever dream, she'd be the only woman in a male-dominated dystopia allowed to hold office. Under her care, Arizona would become a bright red bastion of rebellion that embraces QAnon and all manner of crazy that has recently cropped up in the Grand Canyon state. Lake's Arizona first campaign promises to consist of fear-based bullshit not intended to help the state, but to put her on the right side of the extremists that she so craves to represent. She wants to finish Trump's border wall, blow up drug cartel tunnels, shoot down drug cartel drones, and deploy troops to stop illegals from entering at the border. Seriously, to read her webpage, you think Arizona was under siege by a well-armed migrant army coming first for your jobs and then for your children. Children that she'd happily force Arizona women to bear. So to my mind, Carrie Lake is everything bad that the right has to offer, all fucking rolled up into a shrill but stylish one-woman firing squad. Her opponent in this very tight race for governor is pretty much exactly the opposite. Unlike Lake, Katie Hobbs is the sort of person that you might meet on the street and not want to run away from. Katie Hobbs has already proven that she's good for Arizona. As Secretary of State, Hobbs made sure that the 2020 election in Arizona wasn't thrown to the wolves. She patiently walked through the process of a long-winded audit of the 2020 vote count that produced zero evidence of voter fraud, by the way. And then she managed the bogus claims of fake electors. Fake electors, whom I might add, include several state representatives, the Arizona GOP chair, and a current candidate running for the U.S. Senate. With so much grift, it's a wonder Hobbs would want to take on Arizona GOP, but she actually believes that there is room in Arizona for all points of view. In fact, she calls herself an advocate for every Arizonan. She wants to fix schools and expand health care. She supports a woman's right to choose, and she's not crazy. I cannot say the same of Carrie Lake. Arizona is a pivotal state that needs strong and steady leadership. Hobbs is ready to bring transparency and accountability to the governor's office and deliver for her state. Arizona, your choice is clear. Vote for Katie Hobbs or live with the consequences. And as always... Thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.
smile.